When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. City of Chronicles is a Bay Chronicles production. Welcome to the latest edition of the City Act Chronicles podcast. Mina Riziki, I am feeling positively giddy this morning. This morning, this afternoon, you can tell I'm giddy because I don't even know what time of day it is. I feel like City Act has just oh, set the stage for these last two weeks so well. And every time I blink, something else has changed. How are you feeling this uh, this afternoon? Well, I'm really suffering with hay fever. Oh, <laughs> um, oh I have that as well. Rubbish. And I've started to really miss the fact that my parents are not around. <laughs> You're going to think I'm crazy. But even in my old age, they come and stock my fridge. <laughs> and I haven't had time to go. So I had to wake up in the morning and walk all the way to my local Tesco's and buy oh milk and buy can you believe it? Can, can you believe it listening at home that Mina had to go to the supermarket? Mina, I need, to, <laughs> I, need you, I need you to help me out here because the way you just said that, you said you wish your parents were around, made it sound like they've died. And I'm pretty sure that's not the case. No, no, no. That's <laughs> just a way. No, God, that's awful. No, it's just that, that when they like leave me, I just don't have anyone who takes care of me. <laughs> no, that's not true. Um, this is this is why you would need your partner to live in the same country. But anyway, yeah, so I had to go and do the shopping by myself. And, and I'm talking like this is such an unusual occurrence where most people do this all the time. Um, but I'm like, have you, you know, speaking of Clueless, is my favorite movie. Have you seen that part where she's like, all by myself? And she's like walking around. That's how I felt when I was like buying my milk in the morning. <laughs> And I'm being really like teary eyed and being like, this one should be here all by oh myself. Oh my God. Mina is thinking about Clueless because we've just recorded an advert for this podcast in which she mentions, because I actually don't know if that's been played yet at the time you're listening to this. If not, spoiler, you've got that to look forward to. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, Mina was talking about great um, movies from our uh, younger years and Clueless is a great movie. And I feel like we could do a whole podcast, Mina, about great movies from the 90s, but we probably shouldn't. 
even though uh, I kind is of it in the to. 90s oh I don't know maybe, yeah I think it would be probably in yes. yeah I think so yes um because you know you didn't want to get me started on talking about the craft either anyway we need to um we need to talk about some there was some pretty good football this weekend that we can talk about like last weekend it's like where do you even start but I think we start weirdly this weekend like maybe we start at the end it was Verona Milan on Sunday night Mina and Inter had won Inter had won a bonkers game against Empoli, which we'll get to when they were 2-0 down and 1-4-2. So all the pressure is back on Milan now. So they're no longer top for the time being and they've got to go to Verona. And famously, Verona is fatal Verona, fatal Verona. It's the place where Milan have twice blown a league title. 1973, they were top on the last day of the season and they lost to Verona. Who won the league that year, Mina? <laughs> Mina's team won the league that year. Um, you know, frozen up on me. But Juventus won the league that year because I didn't. Then in 1990, with two games left to go in the season, same thing happened. They went to the Ventagordi and they lost um, Milan. So now, with perfect sort of one step down the ladder on the Verona badge at a time, there's now three days left in the season this time. And um, Milan are going to Verona again. And they you know, have this chance to, 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 to be fatal again, Verona. But they weren't, and they weren't because Sandro Tonali's magnificent Mina or some other reason. Rafa, 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 insiste, se ne va, Rafa, Rafa, la mette in mezzo, Rafa, gol, gol, ancora Tonali, ancora Tonali, ancora Tonali, Leo, Tonali, gol, Leo, Tonali, gol, Leo, Tonali, gol. You know what it is? It's such a great week where I know there's like so much being said about Italian football and but it's Italian coaching, right? And Stefano Pioli is just that prime example of like excellent coaching, excellent ability to really develop youngsters into more consistent players. I mean, Sandro Tonali's development in the last year has been nothing short phenomenal, you know? Rafael Leao now this, it, it has grown, but really in the last matches, it's like he doesn't even feel the pressure. He was magnificent in this game. And I'm somebody that criticizes him a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, Calabria's one-two with Tonali was, you know, like a thing of joy for me because of how much I... I like this guy, but it's also the the intelligence of Kalulu, the partnership with Tomori. There's so much there that I, I have to give the credit all, honestly, all to Stefano Pioli and and Maldini because it's just lovely to have the this excellent harmony between management and between a coach that the players feel, their players feel surrounded and comfortable. Um, but yes, it's Leao. It's Leao playing as, sorry, it's Leao's dribbling. It's Leao's direct play. But it's also Tonali playing as a striker. <laughs> it's, it's Tonali's desperation to get there, to get the goals. It's it's fantastic to watch. And it's remarkable mm-hmm. when you think this is the team that had to get Ibra because they were so low when it came to mentality and they needed somebody to like, you know, grip to as leadership to now be the side that just swallows, that you know, the pressure for them is just, is nothing. Yeah, I think, um, gosh, Stefano Pioli at full time, one of the things he said, which stuck with me, is he just said, I'm in love with this team. And I thought to myself, yeah. I, you know, I mean, you're seeing it from up close. I'm, I have no connection to, to Milan. I know it's your, you want me to have an Italian team. My team is Arsenal, but this Milan team is very easy to love. They're very easy to, 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 to get swept up in and it's all the names you just said Mina um I think Tonali I I wanted to sort of dwell on a tiny bit extra this time just because I feel like in the story of this title race now if Milan get to the end of it 
he's got this really pivotal moment in it where, you know, that they're drawing at Lazio and he comes up with a goal in injury time. Then they go one nil down away to the team that always ends the Milan title challenge, the fatal Verona, the, the, the team that sort of should have this, this hoodoo, this history hanging over you. And again, it's him who scores the two goals. And these are admittedly a lot of the work on that done by Leal, but still, I just think there's something of sort of moment of history about Tonali now. There's something of a sort of you making this your moment. And I, and I think that it feels so fitting because as you've just sort of mentioned, all those players, like in the end, this is so much a collective success for Milan. It's not really about one player. But if you were trying to choose a player to embody what Milan are about, this youth movement, this is a kid who supported Milan growing up, wrote a letter at 10 years old to Santa Lucia, St. Lucy, saying, you know, I want a full Milan kit, socks, shorts and shirt. Also, can I be a professional footballer <laughs> when I grow up? Who took a wage cut in the summer when Milan were transitioning his loan deal into a permanent move. He said, I'll take a, a, a wage cut to keep it going. And he was said in an interview since, like there was a, an interview in Corriere della Sera where the interviewer was saying, oh, you know, do you think one day you might play somewhere else? If the Premier League club came in with lots of money, would you want to do that? And he was like, I don't ever want to leave Milan. Like I, I want to be here my whole career. I want to be a bandiera. I want to stay here. So for him to be the guy in this moment, I feel like it's just such a perfect narrative moment. And, you know, I, I love a good narrative. And I, and I think probably for Milan supporters, who doesn't want their team to be sort of served in the biggest moments by the player who you feel like really loves the club the most? Yeah, absolutely. On his birthday as well, on his 22nd yeah, his birthday. birthday. Oh, one more thing on, on that as well. His, his partner, Julia Amina, on Instagram, it's not new. She uses Juliet as her name. So in Fair Verona, it was Juliet's partner who who won the day. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Oh, that is so cool. <laughs> he needs to change his to Romeo now. Yeah, he really does. It, it is kind of nice. This is why it's nice to have like Barella and to, and to have Sandro Tanali in Milan. And you just feel these two drive the competition even further. Locatelli at Juventus as well is another one that we should yeah. mention. And perhaps once upon a time it was Lorenzo Insigne at Napoli, right? But it's that, it's playing for your club because it means double. It means double, especially when you feel like right now and the pressure's on it. And speaking of like, I don't know how much you guys are into memes, but I live for these things. Yeah. <laughs> There's this great film from back in the day called Airplane. And, and you could just see the pilot is sweating nonstop. And it was like Milan fans right now, you know, because <laughs> I, I want to mention that Alas Verona is has always been a tough and tricky opponent to face, you know, obviously, you know. But this is especially a tricky team to face now that they have Igor Tudor. And I do want to sort of sing his mm. praises at the moment because, like, I mean, last year they finished on 45 points. The year, and they had the likes of Zakani, they had Di Marco, who's obviously at Inter. It was a it was a good team, and Ivan Juric is a great coach. The year before that, they finished with 49 points. This year they're already on 52. And it's just a side that that plays fantastic football. You noticed in the way that they opened the game, that they stayed calm, you know, and, and know how to be direct, how to overwhelm you, how to find those spaces and to score goals. And, and I, and I feel like when you watch the side, it is scary. And then you remember that Napoli lost Champions League place because they drew to, to Verona last season. So this is a really scary team to go into and, and you're young and you've just seen 
entered all of this. But that, that's why for me, they've become mentality monsters. And when you think when we were in lockdown, there was all this talk about, about you know, Milan and, and they're still in, in the middle of a growth process and that just sees the beginning of that season, they had sacked Marco Giampaolo, both in Stefano Pioli. They lost 5-0 to Atalanta. Thought, right, we need to figure this out. Let's bring in Ibrahimovic. Let's bring in um, Kajer. And slowly, slowly, this team doesn't even need these these focal points. They don't need Ibrahimovic as much, even though Stefano Pioli credits him with talking to them about becoming infamous, which is incidentally, you know, where their name is recognized as being the team that wins it for Milan. Incidentally, it's the same speech that Spalletti gave Napoli, you know, but it just goes to show you when one of them took it on board and thought, yes, we're going to do this. Another team reacted differently to that type of pressure, which goes to show you how much of a development of character there has been. And that is Stefano Pioli, but that's also because this has been a really well-managed club in general, from Gazidis to Maldini to just the fact that they're re- even evaluating who they should sell the club to because they want to make sure there are no loans, that this team is well-built, that it remains sustainable. And that is something to fall in love with in, in this kind of atmosphere where we watch all sorts of things that we don't want to watch in football, you know, and, and owners that we don't really necessarily want to be part of football, you know? So it's nice that this this club right now is choosing to do things the right way, choosing to focus on youngsters, blending it with with experience and, 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 and I don't know, magic. But at the end of the day, it is actually belief in the unit, belief in teamwork. And that is perhaps why, you know, when you relied on Kessie last season, you rely on Tonali this season. And, and who knows, in the future, I just feel like everyone who arrives, like Tomori, Kululu, everyone will be a success. I, I really trust this team because of how they run the club. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. And I also know that it's true. Mina's not lying about um, memes. Uh, I remember Mina and Kay introducing me to, was it Barry's Bantabus on, on, um, <laughs> yeah, on Instagram? <laughs> I love um, this. When, when, yeah. Not sponsored by Barry's Pantabus. Uh Inter Empoli Mina. Um because this this game on its own was was wild. Like if it wasn't for Verona Milan the next night also being such a, a fascinating game, this would have been a great place to start the podcast as well. Because Inter were 2-0 down, Mina. Like I thought that the title race was ending on Saturday. They went 2-0 behind at home to Empoli and you thought this is it they finally they've lost their heads they can't do it anymore the op- whatever the opposite of a mentality monster is that's what I thought was happening and and then and then everything and then Lautaro who actually you know since his goal drought has been pretty phenomenal in the goal scoring state scores some great goals I thought the first one off the outside of his boot was just such a reminder of what an incredible technical player he is and yeah, I, I, Mina, what did you think of this one? More mentality monsters or, or is this just Inter being Pazza Inter as they always are? It's interesting you say that because um, the next day Gazetta had written a report talking about the fact that this is a team that's managed to get 22 points after conceding and going down a goal. And so they've, they've always managed sort of a comeback. Um, and they were saying that this is a record that's only equaled. Like when you read that, you think, oh, wow, that, that's pretty good. Like they, they don't, you know, they don't ever discount themselves, right? 22 points. That's a huge amount of, of points. Mm-hmm. Incidentally, that's apparently the same number of points that Mike Magnan has managed to rescue for Milan. So anyway, that was what Tuto Sport wrote. But anyway, so I was thinking, oh, wow, 22 points. And then he, they said it's a record that's equaled by Hoffenheim and PSG. 
Now, when you think of these two sides, you certainly don't think mentality monsters. <laughs> you think, if anything, they are quite the opposite. They are teams with shaky nerves that capitulate when the pressure is on, you know? So it goes to show you that stats are not, you know, they don't give you the whole story. And, and I think that that's important to note because what we have seen throughout the season is emotions have dictated a lot of how to do, you know, they, they secure big wins. They go on a, on a massive run and, and keep sort of banking on that momentum. They lose something in the game or they feel they've been hard done by. And that also gets them to a place where they don't know how to recover quickly enough. Like that happened in the derby, like against Lazio. So this is a team that has been sort of, I guess, juxtaposed to what Milan is, which is calm and serene in a lot of those moments, or at least learning to be, and to have perhaps been a little bit more emotional. But that has also worked out for them. But, you know, Barella was astonishingly good. Lautaro Martinez, this is what, his best season ever right now. We're talking about 11 in the last 11 games, you know. He really is mm-hmm. topsy-turvy, but again, he's young. So I don't want to request too much from him, but... I also want to just say a quick note that, you know, Italian coaching for me right now is at the very top. You know, Antonio Conte robs points from Manchester City, robs points from Liverpool. Yeah, Carlo Ancelotti reaches the final of the Champions League, you know, with a team that has spent only 27 million in two seasons, you know. And then you just watch the tactical adjustments and how much they like attacked all of Empoli's strengths. I thought that was brilliant from Inzaghi. He knew exactly what, okay, right, we have a problem here. Di Marco's getting you know, run over totally on the side. We don't have Bastoni. Let's figure this out. And he does. And Stefano Pioli, his tactical adjustments are what, again, it's just, it's tremendous coaching. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just, yeah. I mean, again, Inzaghi is the only one who defeated Liverpool at Anfield this season, this year. So it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing where Italian coaching is right now. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think, God, I, th- I think um, the Simone Inzaghi conversation, I, I think for better or for worse, the big sort of defining moment of Inzaghi's season now is going to be the Coppa Italia final, unless Milan slip up. Because yeah. if they don't win the league, you really need that to sort of hold and take away and, and, and have to talk about. And funnily enough, it's probably a huge one for, for Max Allegri at Juventus as well. It's, it's a big one yeah. for both of them. And we'll talk about Juventus as well in, in, a, in a minute. But I, I sort of wanted to just sort of say on this game, I think you've covered a lot of it. I think Inter finished with 37 shots to Empoli's four. Like it's a result that <laughs> was, amazing. you know, kind of looks like it was a close game because Empoli scored twice at the beginning, but wasn't actually close in the way it was played. And I think that what this sort of reinforced though, in the end, is that I'm not saying there aren't other problems at Inter because there are, but given how close they're going to come to winning the league, whatever happens, right? They, you know, Unless they lose the last two games, they're probably going to be within about a point or two of winning the league if they don't win it. The simple fact of not having as reliable a situation at goalkeeper is going to define this season for them in some way. Because even sort of taking it apart from this game in a, in, in a moment, Handanovic has just not saved as many shots as he would in the past. He's just not kept out some of those shots that you look at and think, well, it's not even necessarily a mistake, but you know, you want your good keeper to save some of those sometimes. Then you've got the calamity against Bologna when Radu comes in. In a season defined by small margins, the difference from that to Mike Mannion is just so big that we can talk about all the other things that have gone on with these teams. And I can say all the things I want to say about how much I think Milan are playing great football, but having a good keeper and having reliability in that position changes whole seasons. And I think it's it's probably one of the, the really big under-focused points of the season. It's a great point that you mentioned, but sort of, you know, when you, you, you think about the fact that I don't, 
I don't know whether we should applaud coaches who just managed to make it through even with absences or mm. with big holes in their team, um, whether that be a goalkeeper or not, or whether that really is a difficult thing and you sh- that shouldn't take away from a coach's brilliance either. Because I, I look at the fact that, you, you know, you never thought that this would, this Milan side has had so many different injuries, so many covers and you think like I mean when we were discussing in, in the QA about what we would change within Milan, most what well, we said basically the entire forward line, <laughs> barring layout, you know, that's mm-hmm. what we said. And and you look at sort of inter and you think DeVry hasn't had the great greatest of seasons. It's been quite up and down. Screening is amazing, you know, but it is kind of like you take away Bastoni or you take away Brozovic and the team sort of has a lot of gaps. And I don't know whether, the, I don't know, that they don't feel like, but DiMarco gives a lot from an attacking point of view, but takes something away from a defensive point of view. But when you compare that to teams that have managed to find a way through, even with absences or injuries or things, Inter have become a little bit too dependent on some of their stars. And I don't know whether it's because they are really are that good that you, of course you would be, or whether there's a problem there in the sense that the tactics are too dependent on them because... Or the squad's not, I don't know, what what would you say that is? Because when we talk about Mike Magnan, is it, why don't they have a backup keeper? Because this was a problem last year as well, you know? And and I don't know whether Onan is really the response to all of this. The goalkeeping situation is, is sort of a, a long coming problem for Inter because Sandanovic has been, has been so great and then has been, I think, declining for a little while. But it, it feels like there's been a more significant uh, dip this season. It's a really big question in the end about do I sort of believe in Inter's collective as much as I do in Milan's? No, but I think they are individually more talented and that's why I think if they had just got a little bit more solidity that one position that they probably would have got across the line. But they might still, Mina. You know, there's still two games to go. Milan have Atalanta next, which even though Atalanta are having one of their weaker seasons of the last few, they're still competing for Europe. Inter have got two teams fighting against relegation. All still to play for, I think, in this race. And Can um, we just have a moment for Aslani's ability to bring down that ball and score? Oh, what his a first beautiful ever. pitch. Oh. Yeah. And we were talking about him because obviously they sold Samuel Ricci to Torino, but because they said he was ready. But wow, when I saw that, I'm like, maybe he is ready. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really, really. Um, definitely. I mean, plenty of subplots here as well. I mean, of course, Pinamonti, Inter player, scoring the opening goal against them. What a story that would have been if they'd lost. <laughs> yeah, honestly, he needs to go back. He's wonderful, wonderful player. I think he'll be back there next season. But just to say, uh, also check out um, Mina did a Patreon episode on coaching styles this week. And um, I know Mina's got loads to say about uh, Italian coaches. So yeah, check that out, Chronicles Tifosi. So Mina, no longer in the title race um, for a little while, really. But uh, Juventus still trying to get to the end of the season. I don't know what they're trying to do at the end of the season. Actually, they've already got the top four as well. But you would have thought they were trying to get to the end of the season in okay shape. Instead, they lost to Genoa and had Dusan Vlavic in a strop. Now, that's one side of the story. On the other side of the story is Genoa and perhaps the side that we should focus on more because we were talking just last week about Domenico Crescito and his tragic situation of having sort of stayed from um, March when he could have gone to Toronto to stay and fight the relegation fight with the Genoa, only to then be, despite being a really good penalty taker, be the guy who misses the penalty at the end of the derby with Sampdoria, which looks like it's relegated Genoa. Redemption in the space of a week, Mina, because it was him who scored the 95th minute, I think, penalty 
to to win the game against Genoa. Even as a Juventina, you must have been feeling a little bit of love for for Koshito in that moment. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like Twitter was just like stupid Juventus, <laughs> yeah. and in my head, I'm like, oh, for goodness sakes, this game doesn't mean anything, and they've got the Coppa Italia. Like, really, they just didn't care, <laughs> yeah. And I, I kind of liked it because there was a part of me that thought Dishidio was doing a charitable service in that match, you know, like, here's your first goal, here's your second, you know, now to, <laughs> what, what do you need anymore? You know, you got the three points, Christian is like back up, you know. But when, when the penalty came and I was like, oh, this is so awkward. Like, and in my head, I was like, what if he loses this? Like, this is over. Like, this is terrible, you know, but he doesn't and he scores it. And I loved the way that the coach, you know, blessing ran up to him and just hugged him and, Everyone just surrounded him because you knew how much it meant to him and how awfully he felt after, obviously, like you said, uh, the fact that he missed it against Sampdoria and thought that he relegated his club. So just on a, on a heroic note, it, it was fantastic. And, and frankly speaking, you know, I'm happy for them because it's better to score that. If you had to choose one penalty, it's better to get that and get three points than to get a draw against Sampdoria, at least for me. So. I mean, Sampdoria lost anyway to, to Lazio over the weekend. So hopefully that just gives Genoa a little bit more of a, a hope of surviving this because it's them and San Italian that I would really like to stay up. But I know I can probably only get one. That's the thing, because if, if, if they had drawn with Sampdoria, Sampdoria would only be a couple of points outside the relegation zone. As it is, Sampdoria have got a four-point buffer with two games left. Might still not be enough. I mean, I, in, you know... What do you think? Because it's hard games they have. Yeah, well, let's fill in the gaps quickly on that relegation fight because it was a lot that happened this weekend. So Venezia, who we have given off as as dead and buried for for some time now, they won their first game since February. Uh, they'd lost, gosh, how many in a row should have counted this before I started? Lost a lot of games in a row before this one. They were 3-2 down against Bologna and came back to win 4-3. But illegally, this was an illegal win. I mean, this was like a huge error in goalkeeping. Oh, absolutely. Chaotic. So it wasn't a penalty. Yeah. And a very lucky penalty. Yeah, exactly. And they're almost certainly still going down. They would have been relegated if Salernitana had won anyway. And Salernitana were beating Cagliari up into the 98th minute when Giorgio Altare uh, wins the, the header that, that, um, that equalises for, for Cagliari and keeps Cagliari in this fight. I mean, it really looked like Salernitana were going to be the team that were the big winners this weekend that pulled themselves out of it. But that draw keeps it all to play for. Just to sort of say it for anyone who hasn't checked the league table, you have Spezia on 15th on 33 points, Sampdoria also on 33 points, Salernitana on 30, Cagliari on 29 and Genoa on 28. So Realistically, it's still the three, Salernitana, Cagliari and Genoa, who are the most likely to be fighting for that one spot for safety. But it's not impossible that one of Spezia or Sampdoria gets dragged into it if they lose the last two games. I have no idea, Mina. I couldn't predict this from one minute to the next, let alone from one week to the next. Who do you want? Oh, that's a cruel question. Oh, is it? <laughs> I don't yeah, even know what's cruel anymore. It's really no, Can I see who do you want to survive? Like, that's a nice way to put it. I think the problem with that is that there are, you know, I, I root for the narratives. Like I always tell you, me, and there's, there's narratives everywhere. I think, I think Krishita saving them after everything would be a wonderful story. Because, of course, yeah. 
you know, he's made that sacrifice. He's chosen to stay there and finish out the season. And, and he's had that, that horrible moment against Sampdoria. I think Davide Nicola saving Salernitana as he saved Crotone and having been so someone who kept Torino and Genoa up in between, I think his sort of story is Serie A's great escape artist is, is wonderful. And, and for me, one of the iconic images of this season is always going to be him waving his shoe at people from the sideline. So, <laughs> so it's hard not to feel some more towards Salerno Town. I also think they've got such an incredible um, support down there um, at yeah. Yareki that it's it's hard not to sort of want good things for that as well. I mean, they're such an odd team, Salerno Town, because there really aren't players in that group who you think, wow, they've been, you know, the standout. And Anjuric, who's 31 years old, and Simone Verdi had a, a, a big sort of role this weekend. But you know, who, who is it in that team that, 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 that stands out for you other than the manager, Nicola? So I think his work is, is something remarkable. The sporting director. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I just think there's, there's something to like in all of these teams. And, and I, if I had to guess, I would say certainly Tanner's still have had the better sort of trend of form. So you think they'll be all right. But this equalizer reminded you that nothing is set in stone and it's all so fragile. I just wanted to quickly mention because I thought it was hilarious. Like it took it took all my ability to stop laughing. But um, Walter Mazzari was sacked, obviously, from Cagliari, and they brought in um, Alessandro Agostini, who managed to get that point for them. But when he was saying, so there was all, there was all this news at the time that he had called them worms <laughs> because they didn't have a backbone. And I, and then he had to come out and deny this, which is just, it is really, really quite awful that he had to come out and deny this. Um, so apparently for Cagliari, they had, you know, reached the end of their tether when he was saying that to them and thought that it was it's best to let him go. He has since come out and said, of course, I didn't say these things, but I did think that that was a hilarious moment in the, in the relegation battle when I thought of Cagliari. Well, well done for them for getting that point against Salernitana. Although there was a part of me that where it broke my heart because obviously I do want Nicola to manage uh, to survive. I just want to get back to Juventus for a split second. Definitely do, do, do. And obviously um, there's just two takeaways from this. Like my main one is obviously keen miss blind sitters at this point. You know, I'm thinking like mm. the, these should be very easy goals for somebody who had scored the kind of goals that he did when he was at PSG. So obviously there's something there right now where he doesn't feel capable or there's, you know, there's a lot of pressure on him and, or he's too desperate. A little bit like, do you remember Simone Zaza as well, who would sometimes just try to do so much because he really wanted to prove himself. And I think that's why Keane's falling into it. And I guess what this brought up in for me is I look at Milan and I look at how Maldini just stands next to Pioli, who talks to the players. He sits down with Tomori and has a coffee with them. He raises the hopes and he talks to his players on a very human level. And he does his job in sort of maintaining the lightness of the dressing room harmony, of ensuring that there's support all the time. And instead, I, I hear things from Pavel Nedved, like, well, this is a guy that can cover up the goals of Ronaldo and he, and we should be expecting 25 goals from Moisekin and, and so on and so forth. And he's nodding his head or angry or swearing like he was last season alongside Fabio Paratici. And I wonder, what is the point of Pavel Nedved at Juventus? Because I don't entirely know what it is that he does other than just look like he's always angry. So, look, I get it. You know, Juventus are not playing the kind of football you want. I don't know why you're not at Barcelona because I'm sure Xavi plays the kind of football you like. You know, like, 
we tried it your way. It didn't work because you were angry when Sally was there. You were angry when Pierlo was there. So what is it that you're doing? Because you're putting a lot of pressure on a lot of these youngsters. Are you sitting down and having a coffee with them and giving them the kind of support that Maldini is doing with the likes of Tonali and Tamori? Are you somebody that's standing beside your coach or someone where tabloid fodder is being created because of how often you turn or roll your eyes at what's being done? Oh, Dybala subbed off and that annoyed you, you know? If you want to be a coach and you're saying he should be placed closer to goal, then be a coach. If you want to be a director, then figure out a way of being useful. But right now, I think that he's causing more harm than good. And it's, it's really, I just, it's creating an unhappy atmosphere. The second thing I wanted to bring up is obviously Vlavic looks really upset, you know. And when I talk about Italian coaching, one thing that's really important to me is how much you bond with your players. And what's great about something that happened with Inter when they were going through their moments was how much Varela kept blaming himself for the fact that he wasn't performing at his highest levels in those matches against, for example, Genoa. And it took Inzaghi sitting down with him, laughing with him, saying to him, you're still brilliant, like, stop this, you know, like, this is just a, a game that you're supposed to enjoy yourself. And what Purely's done for the likes of Tonali and, and, you know, elsewhere. And there's a lot being said now about Allegri not putting Vlaovic in the right position. But what he is doing is sharing a joke with him, telling him, come play a basketball, trying to maintain the likeness. Because right now, Vlaovic is being really hard on himself. He, he you know... He is angry that he's not getting the goals. He's angry that he's not going to win top scorer this season. And that's normal because he's a kid and we're asking a lot of him. But I don't feel like there should be this much pressure on a 22-year-old. He is still one year younger than Rafael Leal. He is still the same age as Sandro Tonali. Like, these are still kids and they're not going to be consistent like Lautaro Martinez. They have ups and then they have downs. And we should be okay with that. So if you want kids to be given a chance, then you should support all their inconsistencies as well. And I, I think that always blaming other people for everything in a, in a way where we've just watched how Roma have reached the Conference League final because of the support of the fans, because of everyone being on board. I wonder why we don't follow that example a little bit more and do what Milan is doing right now, which is stand together through the good times, through the bad times, stand together. Because, you know, it, it, to put all this pressure on, on Vlaovic and be like, oh, well, he's so angry and all these articles written about it, it helps nobody. It really helps nobody. Going to give a quick shout out to some new Chronicles Tifosi patrons. As always, I uh, wanted to say thank you to Mark Dunn, Mustafa Ali, Kevin Chang, Mike Guerreri, Cameron Reese Walker and Peter Braidwood. Thanks, guys, for supporting us and for becoming Tifosi patrons. If you would like to join the Chronicles Tifosi, you can go to ciliachronicles.com forward slash Patreon or click that Chronicles Tifosi button on our website. Um, we're incredibly grateful always for the support you guys give us and for joining up. And if you do it, you also get access to our amazing catalogue of mini Patreon episodes that we create as well. To support the podcast and help us keep producing it, you can also just leave a one-time tip if you would like to via Ko-fi. There is again a button on the website. Right, Mina, last piece of business for this week, I think. Um, I did a mini-sode speaking of Patreon uh, on Roma Lester, um, but you haven't had a chance to, to speak to everyone about that. How did you enjoy watching Roma? Were you, I think you've already told us from what you just said about Vlavic, um, were you swept up in 
70,000 fans at the Stadio Olimpico and who cares it's Conference League, they're going to a European final. two things that because I like watching patterns and seeing you know sort of basing my judgments on patterns and I was noting how like having that kind of support and when Tammy Abraham was saying this is for you guys this is for you guys I mean I looked at them accompanying the team bus and I thought wow that's astonishing like that's it's beautiful and I just I sort of wonder why we don't all do that all the time (laughs) you know and obviously it's much harder to do this when your team is failing and I get that but when that kind of support can create mount, like move mountains and create champions, I don't know. I just think it's so exciting. But for this, I also want to say like that's a lot of it. We haven't always been great about Jose Mourinho on this pod because we have, I at least have for sure, uh, questioned some of his tactical choices. Wondered why there was a need to get rid of Fonseca if there wasn't this huge, you know, brilliance or or something that was coming that I saw a tangible difference. But I do see this tangible difference now in the fact that they have reached the final. The fact that there is that a better mentality and a certain level of maturity that's being shown right now. And of course, it helps when you do have, you know, like said, Tammy Abraham. But for sure, this is a man who understood the culture at this club, understood what it means to the fans and understood how to package all of this together to unite. And that is effectively the secret weapon to coaching a team like Roma. It is, it is the united front. It is the fact that this is a team that is discussed endlessly and relentlessly on the radio, on, in the media and, you know, within the city. And everything is felt, every tension, every moment of, of anxiety. And he sort of eradicated it and created a place of love. And, and for that, I mean, you know, there's so many different types of coaching. There are great tacticians, there are great man-managers, motivators, but he is really very good when it comes to setting atmospheres and trying to align themselves to what the values are and what's important to the fans. And, and I think that with Roma, it, it's, been, it's been fantastic to watch their journey until the end. And a lot of that is down to, to him and what he's managed to do with the fans. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with what you've just said more. I think there's there's two elements to to why this was a big deal. I mean, the first of which is Roma are a huge club and they've won Scudetto before. But actually, despite being a huge club with, you know, representing half of the Italian capital and having a huge fan base, they've actually not won a European trophy bigger than the Fairs Cup, right? They haven't had European success. So like winning a European trophy doesn't matter. It's not the Champions League yet. The Champions League would be wonderful, but it's still a European trophy. And I think the the other point is the one that you've just sort of been alluding to, which is I I think that Jose has has connected with the fans in such a a human way, in such a personal way, that he's been able to to write this narrative together with them, to write this story together. Like this matters because they say it matters. It matters because the manager and the fans are willing to look at each other and say, We want this, we want to do it. And I think that sometimes modern football can lose that a bit in a way that's a bit sad because because we always want the biggest thing. We always want the Champions League. We always want the the 
single most important uh, trophy you can win in the Champions League, the World Cup, and and you know which league is which league is the the, the greatest league? Who's the goat? We're only interested in, in the single biggest thing. Well, you know what? In the end, there can only be one Champions League winner every season. There can only be one Ballon d'Or winner. And it doesn't mean that all the rest of football doesn't have this the power to stir your emotions, to make you care, and to to give you in your city something to to feel magnificent about and that's that's what's great about football is that that has that ability to make you to go on a journey and to 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 fall in love with a team and to have this sort of ride together and I think that's probably always been one of Jose's greatest strength is that when he gets that buy-in from supporters and from his players he he tells stories and I think he's telling a story in Rome right now that is really compelling to watch and I I'm enjoying watching it and yeah you know I think there's been things he's done this season that I haven't been impressed with, but this part of it, you can't, you can't deny that he's he's done that. He's made that bond and he's he's making it special, which is is really fun to watch. Um, speaking of finals, there's another final coming up, Mina, that some people may end up listening to the podcast after it's already happening. It's on Wednesday night, Coppa Italia final, Inter against Juventus. We've already slightly touched on it, but I. I don't know. Who do you think this matters more to? I, mean, I I look at it as Allegri needs something to to sort of hold on to after a slightly disappointing first season back. And in Zaghi, I think in his own narrative, in the story he wants to tell of his first season at Inter, wants to be able to say, look, even if we don't win the league, I won the Supercoppa. I won the Coppa Italia. I got us to the Champions League knockout rounds. It's not so bad. So who do you think it matters more to? I think it's a big one for both of them, maybe. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's zero titoli, right, for for Juventus to win this. But at the end of the day, I feel like in many ways, Allegri is established as a coach. He's already hated, so it doesn't really matter if he's hated even more after this. Um, it's kind of like, it's interesting, actually, because Calcio Mercato released, like, you know, the results of what Italians thought of as the best coaches in, the, in Italy that have ever come. Um, and Carlo Ancelotti, uh, it was Carlo Ancelotti, Eriko Saki in the top three positions and, uh, sorry, in the last 40 years, right? Anyway, I thought it was interesting that Allegri came forth and ahead of Fabio Capenna. At the end of the day, I just feel like people know that this is sort of a downtime for Juventus and I don't really think the Coppa Italia changes much for them. But for Inzaghi, I think it does because I think that he is going to be reeling from the fact that they did lose this at Bologna maybe in his head or whatever it is. And he is somebody who is remarkable in knockout competitions. He's won seven trophies out of nine finals. You know, he's very good throughout his career, even on the 21 level. He is the master of these competitions. And even with his Lazio side, he reached the the knockout stages of the Champions League, went into Kudit last season, you know. So it's, he is, for him, I think this matters a little bit more. I don't know how much it matters to the club in general, but it's always one extra trophy. If you've missed out on one, then you can say, well, we've got another two. But it's like you said, it matters to both of them. Uh, I just I just think that Inter will probably get this because of Inzaghi. So you think Inter will win? Yeah, I do. I think that they really, really care about this in a way that I just feel like there's a part of Juventus that's already given up. <laughs> I, I mean, you, you look at that team and you think, I mean, Arthur's just, it's almost like they're trolling you with this team. You know, like Arthur just, I mean, his passing sometimes just really angers me. Rabio, you know, it's back to hideousness. You know, Dushido's opening doors for people. Like, I just don't, I feel like Juventus have reached the stage where like, okay, let's let's just forget about this and start again. And hopefully with a much better start, you know, but Vlaovic is going to matter. 
And mm. so, and for Dybala, it's going to matter. And I, I wonder whether Dybala will start because the question marks are being raised as to whether or not he will start despite being top scorer for this season. And if Dybala is your top scorer of the season, then you know what kind of a season it's been. I think actually, in a weird way, it's it's a very compelling final to me because I, I'm i really not sure when I, again, when I come to it, because I, I think that on the one hand, like in my gut, I feel like Inter are playing better football. I think that aside mm. from that game against Bologna, they've been quite good recently, that game against Bologna, which is just this weird anomaly. And you look at how they sort of dealt with Milan in the semi-final second leg when they just sort of, well, the scoreline was a little misleading, but still, they, you know, they put three goals past them. I say all that though, and then I come back to the thing that we've talked about before, Mina, which is that actually, even if you put in the loss this weekend, there is one team in Serie A that has taken more points in 2022 than Juventus. It's Milan, who are top of the league. So the form guide still says the Juventus are doing fine, even for all the complaints about their style, for all the complaints. No, about... they are. That's why I can't understand the criticism. So I just don't know this final. I really don't. And um, our producer, Simon, thinks that you absolutely can't keep your job as manager if you lose the Supercoppa and the Coppa Italia final. We'll see. On that Do you think point. so? <laughs> you think Allegri should be sacked? But losing both of them to Inter? Yeah, you think he should be sacked? And just because of his negative football in general, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Simon! I think we have to find a new producer, guys. I mean, I'm sorry, but I, just, I, I just, I can't be on board with this. I cannot be on board. They are two meaningless trophies. <laughs> <gasps> Mina, you can't after you've just called the Conference League and talked about how trophies can matter. Don't do that. <laughs> the Conference League is so much, it's not a meaningless, it's Europe. You know, you've defeated some of the top clubs to get there. But, you know, but, but playing like three games, you know, like for the Coppa Italia there isn't it's not even the way it used to be the Coppa Italia had at Coppa least something Italia. when Coppa it was Italia is horribly organized yeah I mean at least before we had like you know actual like Italian clubs competing now it's basically the top four in Italy that compete for it really you know and and it's all swayed towards them reaching it it's, it's become a rubbish trophy and the Super Coppa is like oh come on like how can you how can you gear yourself up for it you know like you know never mind <laughs> Simon, this has been your last job. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be many listeners that would agree with me. <laughs> I think most of them would actually, Simon. I think most of them hate me because I'm always sort of defending all of this crap, which is terrible. Anyway, it is bad if they do it two times to enter, right? Absolutely. But, you know, or, or on a on another note, it should also be noted that they're playing with like nobody. <laughs> and then everyone's like, why are there no insertions in midfield? Well, there's no McKenney, there's no Piazza. They've started out with different, you know, forward line to the one that they've ended up with. Kulisevsky's gone, Ronaldo's gone, Kiz's been injured, you know. And never mind. <sighs> okay, fresh from my argument with my producer. <laughs> <laughs> Who is doubting Allegri's credentials? He's the fourth best coach in Italy, okay? We want to say thank you for listening to the show, and I think that's all we have time for this week. But join our Patreon membership uh, if you want to support the podcast and help us to keep producing it. You can also leave a, leave us a one-time tip via Kofi. Just click the button on the website. You can of course find us on Twitter at Nikki Bandini at Mina Rizuki and pose us any questions that you may have and follow Seria Chronicles on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. Thank you for listening to us and ciao for now.
finale di Coppa Italia ma è una partita che passerà alla storia perché dopo mesi ritorna il pubblico ancora Chiesa che si accentra Chiesa di prima ancora Kuluseschi Chiesa 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 tiro rete Chiesa riporta in avvantaggio la Juventus Chiesa con il sinistro e questa volta Gollini non lo frena ancora una combinazione Kuluseschi Chiesa e questa volta Chiesa non si fa pregare Juventus 2 Atalanta 1 Chiesa Chiesa era un giocatore che stava mancando la Juventus ma che poteva con una giocata cambiare la partita finisce qui la Coppa Italia della Juventus numero 14 battuta l'Atalanta per 2 a 1 Atalanta disperata ancora una volta deve rimandare Sports Social Podcast Network It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash Life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land You know what they say Your chance to win starts with a spin So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.